Hey guys, this is Castle and Always Acting Up. This is a pos- podcast where I share all of my personal stories and journeys as an actress. Along the way, you're going to learn some tips, tricks, secrets. We have industry conversations that can help you lead your journey towards success. This episode, I want to talk all about reality show, how to pitch a reality show, and I have a fantastic guest. And he's got so much to share with us that I'm not even going to introduce him. But before we get there, I want to give a shout out to all of you guys who have been supporting on the podcast, um, Instagram, website. I appreciate you guys. And in case you guys are just now tuning in, make sure to go ahead to alwaysactinguppodcast.com. There you'll find the blog. You can also go to alwaysactingupblog.com where we talk about elements to help you look, feel, and perform better in front of the camera and on live. So I got a quick round of applause for you because you're awesome. That's what's up. And like I mentioned, I have this guest and I was just asking him really quickly, can you tell me like a couple career highlights? And he just, the first thing he said, I was like, whoa, this is so cool. And then he said something else and I was like, you know what? I'm going to have you give yourself like a little introduction because I'm fascinated already. So Michael Brand, thank you so much for joining us. There it goes. I was looking for the uh, applause. It wasn't working. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You started off saying, well, I was a nuclear weapons tech in the Navy. Can you elaborate yeah. on, on that? So I, uh, so very, very deep military history with my family. Um, also, my family only has male children. And so I'm four boys. I'm the oldest. You know, my dad was from boys. My grandpa was from boys. My great grandpa was from all from boys. And we're all military. Um, so I started out life in the United States Navy on submarines, working on the third stage rocket motors of the Trident C-4 backfit missile. Um, and like literally I was inches away from the the nuclear bomb itself. Um, well, which is interesting because we've got a whole series of zombie movies that were in production right now. And part of the plot is that as a younger man, I was exposed to a nuclear, a, a radioactive material called tritium, which I really was exposed to that. But anyway, that's something else and complete, completely different. But after the Navy, I, uh, I worked my way up the corporate ladder in the Marriott Corporation. Then I decided I was good enough to open my own restaurant. So I owned my own restaurant for a while and then uh, sold that and started working um, in cell phones because I really thought in the early 90s that cell phones were going to be a big deal. And so mm-hmm. worked my way up through the cell phone industry. And uh, then when, when it started getting all retail like, like they'd open these stores where people could just walk in. Um, I was like, well, I'm going to go do something else. So I got into construction, became the vice president of a construction company. They went bankrupt. Then I opened up my own company called wildlife command center. Yes. That's it. How's that for the fast version? <laughs> that was amazing. I have like 3000 questions. It was funny. Cause I was like, you know what? <laughs> We, my family were actually, we were all females for the longest time. Like my aunts, my, my grandma and her sisters, my mom and her sisters, and then they all had daughters. And then we had a couple boys come along the way. Oh, fascinating. So yeah. Isn't it weird like that? I mean, some families are just, you know, luck of the draw, really, you know, luck of the chromosomes. I'm convinced that I'm having all boys just because that's what like the next generation, everyone's having boys right now. So, oh, well, me and my brothers, we all had boys. Me and my brothers, we all had boys, except for my youngest brother. My youngest brother birthed the first female. So I have one, one, two nieces. So, hey, yep, (laughs) yep, finally got some nieces. Wow. Well, welcome to the family. And so, yeah. okay, Michael, let's get into this. I let's need to know, in. cause I know you're, you're an actor as well. You have the wildlife command center and you have this reality show on animal planet and, um, what does that say? Limiting storage. Low browser space. Well, let's see. Let's see what happens. Okay, Michael. So you're an actor, you have the wildlife command center and you also have this reality show on Animal Planet and the Discovery Channel. So what came first? 
All right. Well, Wildlife Command Center came first. Actually, I'm a master falconer and training birds of prey came first. That's what came first. Training birds of prey. So my whole acting career started with one owl. Okay. It started it started with I, one owl. And how <laughs> did you get into that? Where did that start? Well, I, I um well first off I was a master falconer. I started in two thousand two and so I trained birds of prey. And then around 2005, 2006, Hollywood came to Shreveport, Louisiana, and that's where I was uh, living at the time. That's where I had my company. And there was a lot of tax credits, and so there was a lot of movie production going on in in Shreveport, Louisiana, and the surrounding areas. And um, somebody requested, and through my network, they got in touch with me. They needed an owl for a, a set, okay? And um, so... I happened to get an owl and had one available, so I went and trained it, and we uh, we showed up. And you know that that show it never came out of production. It because uh, you know right. a lot of people don't understand sometimes that every show that's filmed doesn't even make it out of editing. Sometimes, you know, right? Um, and, and then how some did you films, have a pet owl? Well, it wasn't really a pet. It was, um, so in falconry, you know, the, the art of falconry is to train birds of prey to hunt with you so that you're not using a gun or bow and arrow or a knife. You're actually using mm. these birds of prey to go hunting. And in Louisiana, hunting is pretty big. I mean, that's a regular pastime sport. And so I have these birds and that's what I did with them. And instead of using a gun to go squirrel hunting, I trained these birds and we went out in the woods and we would catch squirrels, you know, or we would catch rabbits or things of that nature. But they, um, they asked me for an owl for a movie set. And so I went and did that. And then shortly after that, I got hired by a company called um, Exterminator, Exterminator Productions, and they were filming a reality TV show called Billy the Exterminator. And, uh, and oh, it was okay. the whole premise of it was Billy, Billy was um, really great. Was, Mike Rowe is actually who started it because Mike Rowe did uh, an episode of Dirty Jobs with Vexcon where there's just millions of cockroaches in this trailer house. And, oh God. and Mike liked uh, Billy's eccentricness and said, you know, we need to get you on TV. And so they, they started the show, Billy the Exterminator. And he went out and did all kinds of crazy animal catching, but um, they hired me because in the, in the third season, Billy joined SAG the Actors Guild, and Billy came back to the production company and said, hey, y'all are going to have to find somebody to catch these animals because I'm an actor, and I'm not going to set traps and catch animals. And so the production company um, brought me in to catch animals and to do animal handling and to, to be an animal expert on the set. And so that's where I realized and I recognized right away that Vexcon, being a very, very small company, um, basically they just stopped all their advertising because the reality show, Billy the Exterminator, which was based off the company Vexcon, was just phenomenal. I mean, it had so much publicity that they didn't need to advertise anymore. And um, and so I started, uh, I started chasing and thinking about a reality TV show of my own for my own company. And uh, like I said, that was back in 2007, 2008. Um, and then it oh, wasn't wow. until 2016 that I made my first run at it. Um, we, uh, we had a local production company that was interested. Um, so I pitched a local production company. And then the production company pitched a network. And then a network bought, bought into it at the time. Um, uh, actually, um, Asylum bought into it and um uh no coast original they they bought into the pitch and so they we put together a pilot together or well we put together a hot sizzle is what we actually put together and that was in 2016 and that's where i learned what happens when you sign documents and you don't know exactly what all the verbiage is that's in those documents so i had to learn that the mm -hmm. hard way um but that didn't get picked up. As a matter of fact, we pitched it to Animal Planet in 2016, 
Um, and then we pitched it in Nat Geo Wild and we pitched it to A&E. And at that time, nobody was interested in it. And so I ended up placed on a shelf, you know, this little production package that they put together. Um, I signed some documents that held me in place for 24 months. And so no. I just... I just sat on the shelf for 24 months because nobody was trying to push it. Nobody was trying to sell it. And I belonged to them because, you know, I signed, uh, I signed some stuff that I really didn't understand that well that time, but hard Hmm. lesson. I learned the hard way, you know? Um, so, but anyway, because of that in 2016, um, I, you know, I watched the sizzle and it was pretty good. And, um, I decided that um, maybe I needed to take some acting classes so that I could present better, you know, so that my body language would read better, um, so that my eyeline would uh, would focus better. And I started taking some acting classes. And uh, and then I, I got tied in with a bunch of people from Las Vegas with the Las Vegas Stunt Academy. And I just loved doing that stuff like mm-hmm. it was just fun and so next thing you know I just start picking up these little little small acting gigs you know they weren't they weren't much at the time but you know it was a toe in to the industry and uh, and so 2018 came along I was out of that 24 months and so we did another sizzle with another production company and we got flat out rejected again except this time mm-hmm. I was only on the line for 9 months you know, um, Dang. so anyway, um, after the nine months was up, uh, I, I pitched this, this, uh, this idea around because nobody really in that, in that, uh, in that niche, that sector, no one really had a nuisance wildlife, uh, show out there where they were rescuing people like you from wild animals. And so I, I thought that, you know, somebody had to fill that niche. So I kept pursuing it, pursuing it, pursuing it. And then in 2020, um, we put together, I, I found another local production guy, uh, Michael Francis presents, and he reached out and we went to Los Angeles. We, we made a little small sizzle and then we went to Los Angeles and we actually walked the concrete in Los Angeles to a couple of different production companies and, uh, uh, critical content, uh, showed some interest and so they kind of picked up the ball. They, sh- they sh- filmed their own sizzle in their own style and they went out and pres- presented it and they presented it to Animal Plant and Animal Plant said, oh, maybe, maybe that looks interesting. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's, that's kind of the route we went to get to where we are today with the, the pilot being on Discovery Plus and ran the, uh, ran the programming for Animal Planet. Congratulations. What a journey. And what is your show called? So the, the show is called Bare Hands Rescue. And uh, you, it's, it's permanently parked on Discovery Plus. So if anybody wanted to go to Discovery Plus, type in Bare Hands Rescue, the show will pop up. Um, or you can go to my Facebook page or my YouTube channel. There's links there. Um, if you don't have Discovery Plus, you can follow one of those links and get a free seven-day trial. However... I will warn your listeners that programming is so good that you're going to want to keep that because discovery plus <laughs> got some great programming. I mean, I, I signed up thinking oh, I'll just watch my show and then I'll move on. Right. No, it's in. got too many, too many programs. I like, especially like all the naked and afraid series. Like that's right up my alley. Oh my God. You know? <laughs> and now they have, and now they have naked and afraid of love. And I'm like, oh, no, now I'm really sucked in. (laughs) I cannot. I cannot with those shows. And, Michael, I'm curious, like, and I'm I'm actually really glad I'm talking to you at this moment because sometimes, like, I feel like, yeah, this isn't working. I should stop. Yeah, this is not working. I should stop. What was it that kept you pursuing having this show on TV after the first hold of 24 months and then again for, I think you said seven or nine what kept you going during that time period and why did you continue to well, pursue it? Well, one, I think that, um, like anything else, 
you know, you always hear things about positive affirmation and, and speaking positivity into the, the world and putting positive thoughts out into the universe and you get positive thoughts back. Uh, but there's something to be sad, said about tenacity, like just plain old tenacity. Yeah, it's great to have a positive mental attitude. And I do. Um, I, as a matter of fact, it's one of my favorite books, Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. Um, but tenacity, like like just stick in the course and staying with it. And, and I'm, I always just thought that I'll die a shriveled up old 90 year old guy, but I'm still chasing it. And that's just what I've got in my mind that I'm, I'm going to chase this and pursue this until I catch it, you know? And the other thing is you never know when the next big break's going to come. You just, you just never know. It's right around the corner. You know, it's always right out there. You know, I mean, if you look at my YouTube channel, I've been hustling my personal YouTube, my YouTube channel for the company wildlife command center. Um, and I've got like 5 million views on that YouTube channel, but I've been after it for 10 years. You know, I've had that channel up for 10 years and it's just now starting to get some traction. It's just now getting a lot of uh, interaction. Um, and I'm almost to the fourth YouTube milestone. Okay. There's four, there's four Ooh. milestones in YouTube and I've completed one, two, three, and I'm on that fourth one. And we're so close. It's like, what you got to make, you got to make 4,000 watch hours, public watch hours in a 12 month period. And so it's a rotating 12 months. Okay. But we just keep inching up, inching up, inching up, inching up. We're at 3,100 watch hours right now. We've only got 900 more watch hours and, until we hit there. that, until we hit that fourth tier. Once we hit that fourth tier, then we get into the insiders club, the YouTube insiders Ooh. club where you're actually a partner with them. And, uh, and they're like, they start serving your, your videos, you know, wow. so we're, we're you know, I was excited about that. I was watching your YouTube channel and I'm going to go ahead and do a little promo for you here. Cause I do want to talk about the reality show in a little bit, a little bit more, but I was watching your YouTube show and you actually have a whole little series where you have snack boxes sent in from like all over the world. You know, like those international snack boxes, you guys. And he has the lemurs, <laughs> animals taste testing these snacks with him. It's yeah, brilliant. So, uh, it's hilarious. Oh, I know. And it's like everybody that watches that is just like enthralled with one, the, the ringtail lemurs. That's a whole story. Bring me back to that in a minute. But the ringtail lemurs, um, we've got five of them that are very, uh, they love to participate with human interaction. Like they love the social interaction of people. And I was like, well, what can we do with these? And so there's this universal yums box and we got the universal yum super box and it's got all these snacks that kids love from a particular area in the world. Like maybe it's from Madrid or maybe it's from Pakistan or maybe it's from Turkey or wherever. And so they send all these local snacks to us and then we sit down and we do a little taste testing and, and we give each lemur five snacks and they all have their own opinion about what they like and what they dislike. And so it's a little, it's a little fun thing that we do. You know, we sit down at a table, we, I, and now I bring a local celebrity on the, to help me, yeah. somebody that's, that's known locally to help me taste test the snacks. Cause I can't do it by myself. I have to have somebody else help me because um, I don't know if you know this or not, but lemurs are high energy creatures and you, you've got to be able to work with them. If you're going to be able to keep them inside the camera lens the viewfinder you know mm -hmm. and so i i do the lemur handling and i have my uh, guest come in and and they do the snack handling and so we all taste the snacks and we all rate them and between me and the guest and the lemurs we come up with a pretty good rating system i think it was great and what's the name of your youtube channel so you guys can go and check it out so the youtube channel is called wildlife command center and that particular playlist is called lemur approved and basically, we look to see if the lemurs like the snack or not. So if it's lemur approved, you know it's a pretty good snack. You guys, there's not another show you're ever going to see like this one. Like, <laughs> this is it. I, I saw that. I was like, wait a minute. 
Is he having, oh my God, he's having the lemurs eat the snacks? This is brilliant. I thought it was really clever. Lemurs are little primates. They, they evolved and adapted to the island of Madagascar. It's the only place in the world where, they, where you find lemurs. There's 47 different species of lemurs on the island of Madagascar. And the ringtail lemurs are pretty, pretty prevalent in the pet industry. And so we end up rescuing ringtail lemurs from different types of situations or people just, um, you know, they, they turn their lemurs over, over to us because they're just too high energy uh, of a creature. And we build these really, really large uh, lemur enclosures. And then we enter, integrate the lemurs into a troop and then, but they never lose that human aspect where they want human interaction. They want human touch. They, uh, they, they want to be near humans. And so we bring them on the show, we play with them. And then after the cameras stop rolling, we turn them loose and we just run around inside the studio and let them play. We take all the, all the lighting and the camera equipment down, but uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's a, it's a whole lot of fun. It looks like it. And I was also watching the show. How did you know, because you started with the falconry and obviously you have these lemur friends. How did you know you can catch these animals with your bare hands? Because I saw you have, you got like crazy snakes and stuff on your, in your show as well. Well, so that all comes back to what I do for a living. You know, I, I rescue people like you from wild animals every day. That's, that's what I do for a living. That's, and that's what all 24 of my people that work for me do for a living is we go out and we interact with humans that are having wildlife issues, animal issues. And we figure out how can we develop a win-win situation where we can get the wild animal out of their home and out of that structure, prevent them from getting back into the structure, and then return the home to the person that owns it. Because when you have a raccoon fall through your ceiling and sitting on your kitchen counter, you no longer oh own God. that home. You know, oh my God. That, that raccoon, that raccoon owns that home. And, and the thing about like with raccoons is once they learn how to use a structure, they're not giving it back. You know, it's like, this is mine. I'm going to keep it. And I've got teeth and enough equipment to hurt you. So, so back up, you know, back off. And, and, and so that's what I do for a living. And one of the things that I found as I've been, and I've been doing this for 11 years. Um, but one of the things I found is that there is a lot of equipment that's made out there to handle animals so that you don't have to touch them. However, it's fairly harsh, you know, um, Hang on uh -oh. one second. So you guys, we got cut off just a quick quick little bit. So I'm going to see if I can get us right to where we were. You were saying raccoons and they own the house. So you had asked me the question, um, how do I know that I can catch these animals barehanded? And I was telling you that there's a lot of equipment made in the industry to capture animals. However, a lot of it's made from hard plastics and steel and cable and things like that. And so it's fairly harsh on the animals. And you know, when I capture an animal barehanded, I can really feel like how much pressure I'm putting on the animal and how much it's struggling. And so it's a, it's an easier capture. Now, I don't do it with every animal. If, if the animal is sick, if it's got distemper or rabies or some other parasite and, and it's just not suitable to handle barehanded, then of course I'm going to use the proper equipment. Uh, we call it PPE, personal equipment, personal protective equipment, just like uh, most safety standards go by. Um, but if it's a squirrel, like recently, I just released a video on YouTube. It's called Charles the Squirrel, the Pocket Squirrel. And, um, you know, uh, he was just this little young adolescent squirrel that fell down a 30-foot chimney and was now stuck in the bottom of the, uh, the smokestack. And so, you know, when I reached up in there barehanded, I didn't know if that was an adult squirrel, if it was a raccoon. I didn't know if it was a young squirrel. Um, but luckily, um, it didn't take me very long to figure out that it was a young squirrel. And then it didn't take me very long to figure out that it was a young squirrel that wasn't even interested in biting. And that squirrel never even tried to bite me. 
you know, and a, mm-hmm. a lot of animals are like that. Um, people get really spooked when, uh, when I'm doing coyote work because people generally think that coyotes are super mean and vicious, you know, but the one little thing that I know is that when you scruff them by the back of the neck, um, they revert to this sense of when they were a pup and the mom would scruff them by the, the neck. And so they just give up. They don't even try, you know, Yeah. They, you just, you, you just grab them, scruff them by the, the, the back of the neck and, and they stop. And so as long as you have the nerve to commit and actually grab it, then you're going to be okay. Yeah, I, I don't. So I'm going to go ahead and leave that up to you. Where, you have a couple different offices for the Wildlife Command Center. You're in a couple different places across the country. Where are you? Yeah, so we've got nine offices currently. Um, we uh, we started in Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, but then we shut everything down and we consolidated. We moved everything to St. Louis, Missouri, uh, mostly because of the airport, the interstate, and uh, it was centrally located in the Midwest. And I felt like I needed to move there to grow any bigger. Um, so, you know, we, we retracted, we shrunk down, we consolidated, we moved to St. Louis. And then once we moved to St. Louis, the infrastructure was so much better in that area that we doubled in size for five years straight, like every year doubled in size. And so we've got offices in Little Rock, Arkansas and Dallas, Texas, Cape Coral, Florida, St. Louis, Missouri, Kansas city, Missouri, uh, Wichita, uh, Kansas, and then Albuquerque, New Mexico, Reno, Nevada, and uh, and now in Sacramento, California. Is that how you got, because you mentioned the stunt team in Las Vegas. Is that, I mean, obviously Reno and Las Vegas are like eight hours apart. Is that how you got involved in the stunt team here in Las Vegas? Because I was curious about that too. Uh, no, <laughs> actually I was doing some I was doing some, some, some movie work in Las Vegas. So Mm. in, in 2020, when COVID shut Los, Los Angeles down and Hollywood and most of California, um, everybody scrambled over to Las Vegas because Las Vegas, Nevada was still open or they had more lenient rules and, and also Nevada's pretty cost of living, you know, Nevada's a a different kind of state. We'll just leave it at that. Um, and so a lot of people moved over, you know, production companies moved over, camera guys moved over, sound equipment moved over. And so a lot of resources moved into Las Vegas. And so I was doing some movies there in Las Vegas and, um, I ran across a couple of the stunt people on one of the movie sets and we just started gelling and we just talking. There's like really good chemistry. They, they were younger than me, but, uh, but really good guys. And they were like, Hey, why don't you come, uh, work out with us? And I was like, sure. So I went and worked out with them and I, I got sucked in, man. I just started, I started um, learning how to do the stunts and how to do the moves. And then I liked them all. And they're just a bunch of good people. Uh, the Las Vegas stunt Academy is a really, really good group of people. I think the whole industry sort of sucks you in. I feel like once you kind of get like a little bit of taste <laughs> of whatever it is that you're doing, acting, hosting stunts, like music, it just sucks you in. I, I hear that story all the time. It does because there's a whole different level of camaraderie that sucks you into a movie set, you know, yeah. and, I mean, and being in this industry. It's teamwork. And so it really is. I need to know first when you were making your reality show and you mentioned that you had a pitch, what was the pitch? Is it a piece of paper? Is it like a one sheet, a couple sentences? Did you create something already? What is that? So I, so first off it, the answer to that is yes, I had, I had a pitch written out. Okay. But it was easy for me because my pitch was my reality. Mm. Okay. And so, you know, people ask me every day, 50 times a day, what do you do? How do you do? What's up? What is wildlife command center? And so it just flows out of my mouth. You know, I rescue people from wild animals and mostly barehanded, you know? And so that, that, that is, that was the pitch really. And, you know, with a few more words so that you got a whole paragraph, but, but you know, the pitch is you've got to be able to say something very quickly that makes sense that a person can envision very fast. So when I say I rescue people from wild animals, mostly barehanded, that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty interesting. It's like you, 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 uh, you, you're, you're like envisioning this person backing up from a grizzly bear 
and Michael comes along and scruffs the grizzly bear by the back of the neck. I mean, that's what you envision, right? You know, mm -hmm. when I say that mm -hmm. or, or you, you envision the cartoons we watched as kids where the saber tooth tiger is going after the uh, caveman, you know, and you're like, oh no, the saber tooth tiger is fixing to get the caveman. You know, I mean, those are the kinds of things that most people envision when they, when I say I rescue people from wild animals, mostly barehanded. Yeah. And so I went with that pitch because that is what I do. And I thought that it's, it has a, an entertaining sector, uh, an entertaining value to it. You know, it has some value of entertainment, if you will. It's your elevator pitch. And it's really, it was a good one. It was a good one. Yeah. And so from, yeah, yeah. from there, you went and hired a production company to sort of create a teaser, like a little mini preview trailer. So there are, like anything in this industry, there's multiple paths that you can go down. Um, I didn't want to spend any of my own money. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to use other people's money. There's Smart. a whole book on that too, by the way, other people's money. Um, and so I started hustling the people that have the small camera crews, the people that have the small production companies, the people that were doing shorts and, 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 you know, small production pieces and trying to find somebody that would get as excited as I was about rescuing people from wild animals, mostly barehanded, you know, and, um, and you'll be surprised. I mean, if you have a pitch if you have this idea that is such a part of you that it flows out of your mouth and you can talk about it endlessly, then that in itself gets people excited. You know, people get excited when they hear something passionate coming out of your mouth. You know, they get excited when they can see that you are really excited about this and it's real and you don't have to force it and you don't have to make it up and you don't stumble on your words and the stuff just comes out of your mouth endless, endlessly. And so people get excited about that. And so that's how I pitched a production company. And so pitch a production company to produce a sizzle, you know, um, a real small three minute reel that puts your pitch into a video format so that you can mm -hmm. show it to somebody, you know? Okay. Um, and the great thing about a sizzle is that it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, it doesn't have to be polished. It doesn't have to be overproduced because all you're really trying to do is get it to a network so that they're excited about it because they're going to say, if, if they can get excited about it, then they'll pull their own crew in to polish it up and probably make something that's their own version of what you sent to them. Um, so, you know, it starts with what I call a hot sizzle. That's just pretty rough, you know, and then you put it to a production company, they get excited about it and then they'll put their polish on it and then they sell it to a network and then the network will put their polish on it. Now, like I said, there's multiple paths to this and it can veer in and out and fork in different ways, but ultimately you're trying to get it on a national platform that will buy episodes. Like Absolutely. that is the end goal. Do you, do you happen to know how they were able to pitch it to the networks? Did they have a connection already or can you just go on like the website and say, Hey, I have a TV show and it says, I'll check it out. Do you happen to know what that process is? Yeah. So, so all the major networks have production companies that they prefer to work with. Um, and so trying to get in, in, in front of one of those networks. So for instance, when we had, when this most recent sizzle we made with Michael Francis presents and myself, we made this sizzle and then we took that to Los Angeles and we just beat the pavement, literally drove around to different production companies. And we had pitched about eight different production companies and critical content came back and they said, Hey, yeah, we're interested in this. Let's, let's, let's see what you got here. Um, critical content is a production company for some of the major networks. Now they do, um, a lot of MTV net uh, work. They're, they're a producer for MTV and they do, uh, that show called catfish, which is fairly, 
fairly um, popular, but mm -hmm. they also do a couple of different reality TV shows, but they're also a producer for Animal Planet. And that means that they've got inside connections and Animal Planet trusts them. And got so it. they they already had that pre-established um, pre uh, relationship. However, when, when critical content came back and they said, let's produce a sizzle that's a little more polished. Okay, so now it's myself, it's Michael Francis Presents, my local guy, and then it's critical content, and we produce another sizzle that's a little more polished. And they shopped that sizzle to Animal Planet, A&E, Discovery Plus. They shopped it to mm, Nat Geo Wild. They shopped it to a bunch of different places. And we had three or four people come back and say, hey, we're interested. Now, this was in 2020. And so there was a push for some content yeah. at that time. So a real hard push for some content. But Animal Planet came back and said, hey, we're really interested. And this is a hard maybe. And so Animal Planet pulled their own crew in and they produced another sizzle and animal planet pitched that sizzle to the animal planet executives so that's you know you got all these layers you know mm -hmm. the animal planet executives came back and said okay we like this let's follow up with this let's move forward with this here's a budget and now we need you to produce us a pilot okay wow what a process um, and so the process yeah. And so the process goes through. And so Animal Planet sends their people out and uh, we filmed in three different locations. So Animal Planet sent out their pilot people they to, to film the pilot. And um, we filmed in three different locations in St. Louis and Reno, Nevada and Sacramento. And then they they did the whole edit. And once the edit is done and the pilot is polished, then um then you really want the network to buy the episodes mm. that's that's mm. technically the next step is they buy episodes however um we didn't go that route um discovery started having some financial issues and they are still they're being pursued now time warner's or warner entertainment center media is trying to buy them out and so they've got a lot of projects like ours on hold mm. right now um, they're mm -hmm. going to continue to run the pilot on Discovery Plus. They're just not buying episodes. And, you know, during this whole process, it's really difficult to figure out what are good decisions, like what are good decisions to make, you know. Um, you know, you never know exactly which direction is things are going. And also, there's not a lot of communication. Once the pilot is made, it's all in board meetings and it's behind closed doors. And there's a lot of information that you don't know on my side of the camera when it comes to this. Right. So, so then what happened? Do they buy per episode? So they, they, they order like they order a certain amount of episodes. Is that what happens? And then they say so they give you a bunch of money and they say, okay, we want X amount of episodes. Go shoot by. See you later when it's done. Yeah, so um, so we can have so when they when they purchase episodes, there's a number of things that can happen. Now, first off, all of this is negotiated up front. Like, mm -hmm. you need to have a good talent agent, and I we do Gersh Agency out of Los Angeles is our 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 agency. Mm -hmm. um, they are excellent at negotiating things. Yeah, and so you know they negotiate things like how much travel lodging, food, uh, you know, how many hours you'll work, how many episodes you'll do, how many uh, digital episodes you'll do after the fact, how many uh, appearances you'll make, how many um, follow-ups you'll make, um, ev everything that you can imagine. They, they also negotiate remixes and things of that nature too. Got it. Did your agent come in before you started pitching to uh, Discovery and Animal Planet, or did you get your agents through that connection? Um, no, the agent. So I got my connection with the agency after, uh, before the pilot was filmed. Okay, but after I had pitched all the pitched it, and we we got a serious. And we had someone seriously wanting to put money up to, to develop the pilot um, because mm -hmm. okay. um, 
you know, before that, with the sizzles and with the production companies, um, I did have an entertainment lawyer that would um, give me some advice on what words mean, you know. Uh, but right. it wasn't until Animal Planet said, hey, here's the budget for the pilot, produce the pilot. Then, then I got an agent to step in uh, because then we've got a real show on the, on the books and you got real money on, on the table. And so it's a little easier to get an agent to begin with if you have something real right. that you can show them. Um, right. And so then, then the negotiations started. Okay. Um, you know, the, one of the, one of the key negotiating points in the whole thing though, was um, how many episodes constituted a season. And that was a right. real sticking point. But when you consider the reason why I'm pursuing this, you know, um, there's a term, it's called brand entertainment. And that is you take this brand and instead of advertising, you entertain people. And so when mm -hmm. you convert the brand from brand advertising, you know, like, you know, Land of Lakes Butter and you know what Land of Lakes Butter does, but you take this and you start entertaining people with it. It's a different, it's a different monster. It's a different animal altogether. And so brand entertainment was my ultimate goal. And so when we started negotiating how many episodes constituted a season, then uh, all of a sudden our what Animal Planet wanted lined up with what I wanted because what I wanted was to get my brand out in front of people as often as possible. And so um, we actually have, they can, they can work us for 12 months out of the year and they can do three seasons in a 12 month period, which. Holy moly. Right. Like most people are like, no way we're not going to do that. But I was like, Heck yes, that's exactly what I yeah. was like. Absolutely. They thought they were winning in that arena. So we ended up getting um, a, a better price per episode because, um, you know, most, most reality shows, most reality shows run three to five seasons and that's it. Okay. And so, and then they're over with, you know, uh, Billy, the exterminator ran five seasons, uh, call of the wild man ran four seasons. Uh, you know, a lot of these other reality TV shows, um, they typically run three, three to five seasons and that that's about it. And so from animal planets perspective, they could get three seasons out of a 12 month period. And so they could run through that pretty quick and see if they had a winner or not faster than waiting three years to do three seasons. That makes sense, actually. I totally understand that. And is this all considered er, non-union, I guess, right? Er, non-union, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Technical difficulties, guys. Technical difficulties. Are you okay if we continue? Oh, sure. Yeah, this is your time. I'm here for you. Okay. So, okay. Let's get back into it. Um, yeah. yeah. So the reason I was wanting to talk to you about this is because I have all these ideas that I want to pitch to a show. I just don't know where to go from there. So the fact that I think you had gone for 10 years back and forth and back and forth and being on hold and getting so close and starting over is inspiring. And I think there's probably a lot of people who are listening who have show ideas and they don't know what to do with it or something happens and you just stop so, you know you don't know where to go from there so so i think the easiest thing is if if you're able to put together a sizzle okay and a sizzle can be anything that visually articulates your pitch whatever your pitch is for the show you know you you have to be able to um convince people audibly first that this is a good idea you know, and then if you can put a sizzle together that visually can promote that audible idea, um, then the first thing to do is to find someone like um, Michael Francis Presents is a perfect example of a one-man shop. What he does mm -hmm. is he takes these types of ideas that are 
advanced. In other words, you've crafted it out. You've got it thought out. You've written it out. You've even produced a small sizzle to kind of visually explain what your idea is. And then he takes it and he puts, he helps you craft a more polished version of it. And so, you know, to promote this thing, you've got to think of it like this. You've got to bring it to somebody who's better than you. Some, someone who's yep. bigger and better than you, somebody that has more money than you, someone who can craft the visual better than you, and someone that you can partner with to move this thing forward. And, you know, you take somebody like me, and I've got very limited editing skills. You know, <laughs> I can use an iPhone pretty great. I can use Wonder, Fillmore Wonder editing software. Um, I think I know how to do a whole lot of things, but there's, there are people that just do it better than I do. You know, right. um, that's just like the, the whole podcast thing. I know I need to do a podcast, but I'm a, I'm a great guest. I'm a great podcast guest, <laughs> but I just can't do it myself, you know? Um, and, and, and so you gotta, you gotta continuously push it up the chain, up the food chain to people that are better than you so that they can polish right. it and they can take your idea and they can move it forward. You know, um, it's rarely going to happen that you um, with the acting up podcast can put something together uh, polished enough to take it to a major network, unless mm -hmm. you have some type of inside connection. You know, you've got somebody right. in there pitching for you. You got somebody in there that um, has, has connections to upper level executives that can make these decisions to fast forward those things. But for the most part, you know, it's just like, it's just like anything else. You go to a grocery store and there's some people that are stocking the shelves. And then there's some other people that are managing the people that are stocking the shelves. And then there's somebody managing the whole store. And the same thing kind of pertains to a show and trying to get a show. You know, the network is the ultimate uh, goal is getting it onto a national network. Um, but to be able to get there, you, you need to find somebody that can produce a sizzle. Then you got to find somebody that can polish the sizzle and pitch it. You know, um, I'm, I, I can pitch this, but I can't pitch other things, but somebody that pitches things all the time and that's what they do, mm -hmm. then that's, that's where you take it. And that doesn't cost anything. Those people do that because their take is whenever they get the show on the network, they're, they're going to be paid through the network, you know? And then okay. once, once they get to the network, then the network's going to be, they're going to have a big bucket of money for everybody. And they're just going to douse it all over everybody's head and everybody gets to pick up bills as they go, you know? <laughs> right. And that's basically, um, that's basically how it works. You know, I, I was listening to a clubhouse this morning. I'm not sure if you're familiar with clubhouse, but it's sort of mm -hmm. like this new social media where everybody can kind of like go in and chat with a bunch of different people. And one thing that I heard, and I've heard this saying before, was that if you hang out with millionaires, you'll become a millionaire. If you hang out with people who are lazy, you become lazy. So yeah, you kind of kind of work work your way up and work with people who specialize in what it whatever it is that they do. And so I'm curious. I have two questions really quickly. Um, maybe not quickly. We'll see. <laughs> so once you sell once you sell your show. And they're like, okay, we want X amount of episodes. And for your case, they are doing three seasons in a year. Do you have like a storyline sort of going this episode? I want to talk about this. Or do they just come film a bunch of stuff and then piece it together to make an individual episode? Whoops. Oh, oh hey, uh, it's Castle and it's just me interrupting my own podcast. So rude. I know. Well, I just wanted to let you know that Always Acting Up podcast is sponsored by We Audition. What's that? Well, it's the website for actors made by actors. It's the platform where you will never have to struggle to find an audition reader ever again. And the best part? You can be a reader too, where you have the chance to read with real working actors, see what they're doing in their auditions, see what their setup looks like, all while practicing and getting better with your own cold reading skills. Oh, and did I mention? You can make money on there too. Say what? Well, I guess it might be time for you to check it out for yourself. But before you do, make sure to enter in my promo code, ACTINGUP25, for 25% off your subscription for a lifetime. That is ACTINGUP25, where we can hang out and help each other with our own auditions. See you on We Audition. Film a bunch of stuff and then piece it together to make an individual episode? Well, for, for my particular industry, um, we never know what the next call is going to be. You know, 
And mm. so, and so we have a film crew that is on hot standby and, you know, gotcha. there, there's, there's, a, there's plenty of stuff that needs to be filmed. There's plenty of B roll that needs to be captured. There's plenty of audio that needs to be captured. There's plenty of setup that needs to be captured. There's plenty of operational things that need to be captured on fit film. And so typically what you do is you set up your day to capture B roll, to capture audio and to capture op operational things. Cause you can control those. And then the things we mm -hmm. can't control are the emergency urgent calls that come in that, you know, there's a coyote in our garage or, you know, there's a beaver in the bar or whatever the situation may be, you know, um, you know, so, so we can stop filming operational stuff and run over and film the live action stuff. Okay. Now, what also has to happen is there's a whole crew that goes out and gets uh, permission slips signed and, and permission to use your property, permission to use your face mm. on TV. There's a whole crew that goes out and does that. Um, typically it's three people. Um, you got, you got one person that's on the phones, you got one person that's on the ground and then you got one person that shows up with the camera crew. And so, you know, there's a lot of moving parts when you consider a reality TV show like ours that is considered non-scripted reality. In other words, that is yeah. you film what you get as it comes in. And so, um, we're really lucky because I have nine offices across, uh, seven different states and we've got a large crew of people and we've got a really good internet presence. And so a lot of calls come in. And so we've got a lot of things to choose from for our particular reality TV show. Wow. That's fantastic. And what, how big is like a camera? Do you have like one camera crew or like one camera guy and then some guy doing sound? Like how many people do you have like on site? Yeah. So our, our crew that we ran with, and this was just for the pilot. Uh, we had a seven person crew. We had a main showrunner who was in charge of rounding up all the cats. You know, we had two really good camera guys. Um, both of these guys were notable camera guys in this industry. Uh, they'd film with Steve Irwin. They'd film with Bear Grylls. They'd film oh, wow. with a lot of these big, big outdoor um, shows. And so the two camera guys we had were, uh, very interesting. Cause I was always getting them to tell me stories about stuff they'd done. Cause it was much more fascinating mm -hmm. than anything I've done. Um, and then we had two PAs and we had a sound guy. Um, and then I had a, a BTS operator behind the scenes photographer, you know, taking pictures. Wow. I just want to say like, again, like congratulations, like for getting all of this accomplished and done. And it was not an easy path for you. And one of the things you mentioned in the beginning was when you signed a contract, there was some verbiage that you didn't know. And that sort of locked you in for 24 months and you couldn't do anything. Do you recall maybe some things that you should have avoided that you know now? Oh, sure. There's, 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 a, there's a lot of things that, um, first off, don't, the, the first thing they present you with is, is written specifically, completely to their advantage. You, you have to rework, rewrite everything so that you have a fair shake, you know, and, and then you do need to understand some of the terms, you know, and so the first, the very first um, agreement that I, that I signed, I really didn't understand the terms and, and it, none of it really stood out to me until I had to live the reality of those words, you know, and that's, sometimes that's a hard lesson to learn. Um, I was lucky for me, it was just a matter of time, you know, um, but I think if I was going to give anybody any advice, I would say that you have to understand that if somebody hands you a piece of paper, that piece of paper is written out so that whoever handed it to you, it is completely to their advantage because that's why they wrote it. And they wrote it so that you have very little rights or say or liquidity and they have everything. Um, 
because that's how you start a negotiation. You know, uh, you, you go in with your highest price and, and you, you've got to bring them down. And the same thing with terms and agreements and length of time. And, and, um, you know, if, you know, they'll tell you the stuff like, well, we're going to put so much money in it. So we need to know that we have time to sell it. Well, that also means Mm -hmm. that if we can't sell it, you're going to sit in limbo and not be able to do anything until this, this, these terms run out. So it's uh, it's it's completely up to you to go in and say, hey, look, OK, I'll give you nine months. But every 30 days, you have to prove to me that you're pitching this to a major network, you know, and or something mm-hmm. of that nature. You know, you've got to go in there. You've got to put your own um, boundaries in there. You got to put your own verbiage in there, because if you don't, um, what will happen is they'll pitch it they'll go really hard and and heavy and fast at first, but then if they don't get any bites, they move on to other projects. It's like anything else. They're going to, they're going to move with the hottest project that they've got under their belt right now. And if they don't have anything in writing that says they have to keep moving your project, then you're just going to sit there unless somebody goes, Hey, we're looking for this. Then they'll go, Oh, by the way, I've got this on the shelf right here. It's ready to go. Well, that's, that's no way I can't live like that. I mean, I, I have to make things happen. I want things moving forward. You know, I don't want to sit on the shelf and wait till somebody asks for me, you know, and by the way, that's actually a term in the industry. Can you say that one more time? What was the term? Cause I totally interrupted you. That is a term in the industry and an ask. So major networks go out and they, they'll put out an ask and they'll say, Hey, we're looking Mm. for this. And then everybody that's got something in the works or they know somebody that's got something in the works, they all run in, rush in with their pitch and their sizzles. And, 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 and that's great. But what is better is if you develop the desire and the passion and the, and the interest, and then that infects one of them and, you know, the executives and they, they start moving with it. Those things get those things go really fast. When they put an ask out, that's sort of like a, a, a corporation putting a bid out. They're like, all right, we want this. And who's got the best price, you know? Um, so there's a bunch of different ways that that can come from the network. Wow. You guys listen to that. Well, that was some information. I'm sure you guys are listening. Make sure to really pay attention. Go back, listen to this, write some notes down so we don't get shelved for 24 months that's super frustrating and 24 thank you for sharing all that information i'm gonna go ahead and transition us here so every episode i like to end with a moment of positivity it could be something that uh keeps you going something that keeps you positive something motivational that you may have heard and i would be honored if you had anything to share with us okay absolutely i do and um this may seem a little weird Okay, but hear me out on it because all my people that work for me listen to this all the time. Um, So my name is Michael Baran and I'm 56 years old. And somewhere in the future, there is a Michael Baran that's 70 years old. He exists. There, There is a real, if I could time travel today, I could go see him. But I'm gonna be like Arnold Schwarzenegger and I'm gonna take the long way. If you don't remember that from the Terminator series, you know, the everybody else time traveled to the future. He lived it to the future and they all met up at the same time. But the point is, but there's a 70 year old Michael Brand out there. And so it's my responsible responsibility right now at 56 years old to make sure that his 70 year old life is excellent. You know, it's, it's up to me to make good decisions. It's up to me to hustle. It's up to me to find things that he will be able to do to keep him, you know, valid, you know, at 70 years old, it's up to me to figure out how to make his life excellent. And so that's what really keeps me moving forward. That's what keeps me, that's what gets me out of bed every day is I'm like, what am I going to do today? How am I going to better myself today? How am I going to set myself up for excellence today? Because that 70 year old guy, man, he is, he is counting on me. Like, Everything that is that he's going to experience is me. It's my fault or it's my responsibility. And so that's that's really what keeps me going. You know, Um, I also like to watch a lot of time travel 
shows. Like that's my favorite <laughs> show. Time travel, you know. I love shows like The Flash, you know, and uh, uh, Marvel DC. Um, what's what's the the show we were watching? Um, but anyway, all all those time travel shows. I love those shows because it 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 reflects and it validates the fact that one day that seventy year old guy he's going to look back and he's either going to punch me in the face or he's going <laughs> to shake my hand and say, well done. You know, you know I, I appreciate actually, all your hustle. I'm actually fairly similar as well. And I think that's why I am constantly working because I, I want to get, I'm trying to live till I'm 104. If you guys need a fun fact about me, that's my goal is 104, not 105, not 103. It has to be 104. And so when I'm 104, I want to look back and say, that yes, I accomplished that and this and this and this and this and this, or at least I tried really hard as opposed to what did you do with your life? Oh, I sat and watched TV. You know, I, I want to be able to say that I had a really full, accomplished, successful, I'm sure with some failures along the way, um, just with stories to share and things to teach my hopefully grandchildren at that time in my life. And, and, you know, that's a real thing. It puts you into a different mindset because I tell people all the time that I have an expiration date. You know, my expiration date is August the 30th, 2065, you know, <laughs> and and so it's one of those things that it, it makes me brave because I really believe that. Now, I also insert wisdom into my life and so I don't do stupid things. But, you know, the first time I jumped off of a 65-foot building into a little airbag at the bottom, you know, oh my gosh. I, I knew I was going to be okay because my expiration date isn't until 2065. So, you know, it's, it's all good. You know, I actually, I, I guess kind of similar as well. I sort of think of like anytime I've been into a situation where I literally almost died, I felt okay with the fact that I could have died. And that was just because I'm living the life I want to live now. Like, I don't feel like I have any regrets because I'm not doing something. I'm already doing it. So anywho, well, Michael, this has been a fabulous, fabulous podcast. Um, I know we had some technical difficulties in here, but I'm going to make it awesome. And you've shared some fabulous information that I am going to myself start taking notes. Is there any way, um, I know you've mentioned throughout the podcast, how can we like stay in contact with you or if people want to watch your show and reach out questions? I, I love, I love people to reach out. As a matter of fact, I answer every single comment on my YouTube channel, but you know, nice. I've made it really, really nice. easy. Everything is wildlife command center. As a matter of fact, if you Google search wildlife command center reviews and testimonials, you'll come up with 21 pages of Google returns. You know, 21 pages mm -hmm. of Google returns. Mm -hmm. But if you go to my Instagram account, it's Wildlife Command Center. If you go to my Facebook, it's under Wildlife Command Center. If you go to my YouTube channel, it's under Wildlife Command Center. I have an organic page, an organic website, and it's wildlifecommandcenter.com, you know. And then nice. And then if you if you type in Michael Baran, uh, you'll find out that I am an, uh, a physicist, an author. You'll find out that I'm a... Uh, a, a psychiatrist. I also uh, work with primates. There's all kinds of Michael Barans out there that do all kinds of crazy, wild, interesting things. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm only a small portion of those Michael Barans, but um, I do have a website, michaelbaran.io that okay. you can go to and you can find all my links there. But Wildlife Command Center uh, would bring you right to our stuff. It'll also, if you type in Wildlife Command Center on Discovery Plus, it'll take you to the Bear Hands Rescue Show. So if you can remember Wildlife Command Center, you can find me. Gotcha. Well, I'm gonna put I'm gonna post all that in the in the comment section and the links below. Wildlife Command Center, Michael Baran. Thank you so much for having us uh, for for joining me on my show. You guys make sure to join my show as well. You can find me on YouTube as well as all podcasting platforms. You're probably listening there right now. That is Always Acting Up Podcast, alwaysactingappodcast.com. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe. I think we're all set. That was awesome, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. I think we've opened up the feathers for another podcast in about six months. You know, I'm I'm, I'm down. I need to, 
I, I got to hear more of these stories because I'm like, wow, so many things to talk about. In we didn't even talk about any of the movies that I've been in, the 41 feature films I've been in. You know, we didn't talk anything about about some of my upcoming productions. That I'm oh my gosh! About, about some. Tell, go ahead. Wait, 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 wait. I do want to talk about this. I, I was nervous about us cutting off again, but tell me about some of the upcoming productions you have. Cause I, I do, we want to know. <laughs> well, so, uh, most recently Bermuda Island is going to be a really, really good one. Um, it, that show is really, really turning out to be so good. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of it was filmed down in Puerto Rico. Um, but the premise of it is a, a kind of a little bit of like lost, but a mm-hmm. little bit like uh, the age of time. Um, it's a really good film about a, a, a flight that goes down into the Bermuda Triangle and some really wild stuff ends up happening. But um, from a cinematography point of view, it is spectacular. The, the locations we got were just incredible. The actors and actresses on the film were just, all of them are so talented. Are you... I have a friend on this show, Victoria Kellerman, and I've been seeing her posts. Are you producing this show? Uh, no. Well, I am an executive producer with it. I helped raise some funds to get the show going, you know. Okay. But I also, I'm also an actor in it, and uh, I do, um, I'm part of the, I'm, I'm a middle-aged white guy that is an arms dealer in the movie. It's, it's a movie or a TV show? Movie, right? Movie or a TV show? Movie, right? It's a movie. Bermuda Islands. And when can we potentially see that and where? Do you know? So, you know, Lionsgate is the distributor. And, you know, the way it works is you'll go into post-production and then you'll get it all polished up. And then once it's all polished up and ready for release, you release it. And then a distributor will usually buy it or they'll give you points on it. And then it's distributed to where it's going to be shown. So, you know, who knows where it's going to be shown? You know, mm-hmm. Lionsgate is just the distributor. They're going to, they're going to take it out there and, you know, they'll either do a theatrical release or they'll put it on DVD or they'll put it on a streaming platform. Um, it depends on uh, how interesting it is, how well polished it is and what they think the consumer market will, will support and where they can make the most money with it. So you never right. know where you're going to be able to watch it until it premieres. Now, once once a show premieres, then that means that the distributor has already distributed it, like somebody's bought it, and uh, and it's ready ready to premiere. And then it'll be visible that you can actually watch it somewhere. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to keep us posted because I'm going to include a link to that as well in the comment section, everything below. And also, I I definitely have to see little Victoria in it. She's not little. She's like maybe 14, but she's still she's still little. And I know she's a part of the project as well. I'm pretty sure because I've been seeing these posts and I was like, oh, she's in Puerto Rico. And I think it's I think it's the same project. It's got to be cool. Yeah. Okay. well, fabulous. Um. You're going to have to keep us posted. We're definitely going to have to do another, another podcast episode. I'm going to figure out all these technical issues we're having. And uh, until then, peace. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. <laughs>